Hi there, this is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from San Jeshu, Poland. It is, what time is it now? It's 6.40. No, it is 6.40. 6.40. Which would make it 21 East Coast United States. So... You should be at work right now, whoever's listening. I know, some of you don't work in the daytime, some of you work at night. I'm not working at all right now because I'm in Poland, obviously. And it has been a fun two weeks. We're winding down. we got three days to go here. It's kind of convoluted trying to figure out what is required to get back in the United States. Um... Originally, it was you had to, in order to get on a plane to come into Poland, you had to take a COVID test 72 hours before you arrived. Now it's for, I think to probably make it easier, they're saying three days prior to boarding your flight. So for us, that should be that should be today, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's one day, you know, but we're going to probably do it on Thursday because the test here, at least in Poland, take, I mean, you get the results back in about a half hour or an hour. So we have to have a negative test to be positive that you're going to be able to get in on the plane kind of interesting because I think you do you, you board the plane you do all that stuff while you're on your first leg of your journey we're leaving from a regional area now where I am right now is Abby's hometown in the Subcarpathians. they're the beginning of the Carpathian Mountains where I was earlier in the mountains if you see the pictures if you go to the Keys Bartenders Facebook page and my Facebook page Jim Haran and on Instagram, you'll see the Atra Mountains that are part of the chain of the Carpathian Mountains. It's all in there. And the Subcarpathians are about where we are, about 50 kilometers, 30 miles away from the Ukrainian border. It's, it's beautiful. I've, the experience, it's been my, it's my fourth time coming here. And last time, I don't even think I did much of a podcast uh i was drinking a lot then and boy is there a lot of booze available to drink here in poland and it's inexpensive very 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 inexpensive so you have these bottles half liter bottles that are a dollar very good beer and ten dollar bottles of vodka good vodka not the plastic bottle vodkas that we have in the United States. Um, so, but it has not been much of a chore because I, I've endeavored not to drink. So I can, I, I just, uh, you've heard me talk about it before. I just don't have that thing that a lot of people have when they're drinking. Say, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to keep on going. I'm the one that keeps on going. So I don't hold it against other people when I see it, and I don't hold it against uh, them, uh, other people 
that drink too much, obviously, and I don't hold against people that can drink reasonably. I always thought that was a problem for me because I always used to kind of regret and say, boy, I wish I could do that. And, well, I've done it. I've done it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 58 in three weeks, three weeks exactly, I think. Because today is the third, and it is, it will be my birthday on Tuesday in three weeks. And I'll be 58. I had plenty of, I did plenty of boozing, and I realize now that I just don't have that. A lot of times I lack that control. A lot of people have. That, you know, where, you know, I, I will take a shot. I will drink. I will keep on drinking. I will look forward to drinking. I will make it plans on how to drink. So it, it made it nice for my family, too, because I was, I, I'm perfect, well, I'm the perfect designated driver when it comes to I don't drink. I'm not saying I'm the perfect driver. The perfect driver would know all the roads down here. And that is very interesting. We'll talk about it. They have different rules here and different requirements for driving. And they have very serious uh, driver's test here. It takes a long time. They have a very in-depth, It's an, I guess it's national. It's not like we do in the United States, state to state. I took my driver's test. I, I had my driver's permit when I was 15. I went to a driver's ed class, maybe, gosh, I can't even remember, maybe at most, I want to say six times. I remember the first time my, my driver's ed teacher, doctor, doctor, my, a teacher, uh, Mr. McIntosh, he was my science teacher in high school, but he also did the driver's ed class. And the first uh, time they took me on the road, he took me down to the Schuylkill Expressway in Philadelphia. And the Schuylkill Expressway was one of the more challenging roads in the Philadelphia area. But it was on a Saturday. So it wasn't like the gun he was taking on. His, and and I, if I recall correctly, I don't know if they had a two steering wheel car or not. We're talking about 42 years ago, but I don't recall a lot of things. It wasn't one of those things I was driving. And I just realized I'm on the Schuylkill Expressway. I was going down the turnpike. It took me a couple hours. It took me all around. And my father used to take me driving. But here in Poland, they had, they just changed some of the rules. They started putting uh, pedestrian crossings in the middle of, uh, on, in, in cities. And as soon as someone steps into a pedestrian crossing, you're supposed to stop. Now in the United States, they have them, uh, in Florida, especially in Key Largo, they put one, a pedestrian crossing, but it has a light and it goes green from flashing uh, yellow to uh, flashing um, to red to flashing red and then goes off. There's no green green for that because it's not a traffic signal, it's a pedestrian crossing. But here in Poland, the pedestrian crossing, once someone puts their foot in the pedestrian uh, markings, you're supposed to stop. And there's one unique one. I'm going to take a picture of it, it's at a traffic light, 
they got one traffic light and then they have, and I'll take a picture and I'll post it on my page, um, which I've been trying to ask people that live here, what does that mean? But it's a stop sign on the other side of a traffic signal. So I got a green light and then I see it come up against, and we're talking a matter of several, you know, one meter, one or two meters. I try to use meters instead of feet when I'm in Europe and kilometers. So they have that. They have, uh, they have beautiful roads down here because their infrastructure was, you know, pretty poor in the end of the 80s when they left the Warsaw Pact and the influence of the Soviets and stuff like that becoming a free nation. So they've been pretty much, it's 33 years and they've been building, building, building roads. And they're a member of the European Union and they, they get these beautiful roads and highways. And they really put a lot into infrastructure. I'm really impressed by the work they've done. So their highways are, are, are beautiful. And when you go on them, when, especially when you go into the mountains, they're winding. So they go up to, I guess the roads go up to 90 kilometers an hour when you're in the mountains. And 90 kilometers, I guess, what's that? What, that works out to be about 60 miles per hour. But they're very winding. And people don't, just because it's 90, they're not going 90, they're doing 110, which I guess works out to about 70, 72 on those roads. We're pretty good. You make pretty good time. Uh, there's a lot of traffic in the mountains because people, especially on the weekends, when you go and everyone's heading, just like Americans do to the shore and things like that. And... But when you get on the main straightaways, there's, it's like the Autobahn. I, I would imagine the Autobahn. I haven't driven on the Autobahn in years, but uh, you can go 150, 160. I've seen people going 170 kilometers an hour. So that's over, well over 100 uh, in the left lane. And I'm generally one that's st staying in the right lane. It's 110 kilometers an hour. So you're doing doing 80 or something. Wait, I'm going to move the car right now. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can talk while I'm doing this. Let's, let's back up and do this. So oh, this is beautiful. I can, I can move the car. Here we go. See how, how I am talking and driving at the time, but I'm not, it's not driving, right? Okay. Get out of this thing here. Okay, got this guy on the right, got the guy on the left, plenty of room. Huh? All right. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Yes, coming up on the trash cans, I know. I know you're there. Got plenty of room. There. There. Boom! Fantastic! Let's turn those lights off here. Here we go. Yeah, I didn't tell you what I'm doing here. I am parked outside a doctor's office. My wife is going to a woman's uh, doctor, a gynecologist, and 
Let me let me park straight. I hate I hate having an uneven park job. Oh yeah, this worked out really good. Whoop! I am right on that trash can. Okay, that's exciting. So I'm parked outside in the city of San Jeshu at um, in behind the the parking's really tight in these old towns. If you look on my Facebook page, uh, you'll see the town and there's really not a lot of extra expansive parking lots when they plan them. These, the, town, the town itself is old, about 600 years old. Yep, 600 years old. I'm sure there were people here before, but it was, it became a town of the, the, the history I tracked back when I was looking at the history of San Jesu was 600 years old. And there have been frequent wars going through and invasions going through. And when they invade, and a lot of times they retreat, they burn the whole town down. And, yeah, it's just one of those things they did in Europe, you know, moving across the plains. Uh, Poland is, I had a theory about it, and I'll discuss it a little later, maybe. If you're interested in hearing about it, because you know about my pension, my major in college and all that, I was, I have an interest in history, and we'll talk about that also. So we'll get back to the parking. I was talking about the driving on the on the uh, on the highways here. So we're going. If the it says 110, we can go up to 100. I was doing about 140, sometimes 150 uh, kilometers per hour, which were close to 100 miles per hour. That's nice. It's nice to be able to drive 100 miles an hour, and you see if the towns. 80 miles away, or what, whatever, 80 is 1.6, and 33 is 112 kilometers, and doing 150, you, you can get there in, you know, like 45 minutes. And uh, they, so, and, and most of the people are very, I'd have to say, very polite and forgiving drivers. They don't like people doing stupid things. I understand that, but they're very good at obeying the rules and getting out of the way and tailgating. Oh, and another rule they have here, tailgating. You're not allowed to tailgate. They have very stringent rules for how closely you're supposed to follow someone, which I, I agree. If you're going 100 miles an hour, it kind of sucks if someone's on your ass like 10 feet off your, your bumper because if you had to stop or if anything happened in front of you going 100 miles an hour, there's not a lot of forgiveness there. So we covered all that. The, the, uh, the, I, I talked about the currency and the Poland still on the Vladi, Zolti, and uh, it's, it runs close to four Zoltis, a little less, maybe like 3.86 Zoltis per dollar. And you can go, like I said, you can get uh, beers or like if you bought a, a beer in a store, it'd be like 70 cents, a big beer. You go to a, a restaurant, a nice restaurant, it's $4. Where in the United States, you go to a nice, a nice restaurant, it's 8 bucks for these beers. So, and that's how I gauge it. I gauge it by the price of beer. Now, there's a lot of things that aren't cheap, like Vehicles aren't, fuel isn't, 
it takes close to $75 to uh, tank up. They, they put a lot of taxes on the fuel here, and that's how they pay for the beautiful roads. In the United, United States, oh, the wife's back. What's going on? No point. Okay. Hold on. The wife's back. Let me get this one. What's I'm doing a podcast, so what's up? Oh, okay. Because I just said you can go because not a girl in front of me. You've got an emergency, though. It's going to be how long? I don't know, 30 minutes, maybe. You can go have a coffee over there in the same place. That's good. I'm doing, I'm doing a podcast, okay, so I'll, this, I'll be another have, 40 minutes. I just I can walk even over there, though. Yeah. Are you going over there? I can walk over there to the coffee place, you know. I'm in the middle of doing a live okay. podcast. I love you. I love you. I've been doing it for five years, huh? And, you know, I was trying to explain to Abby I was doing a live podcast because I expect she was going to be gone for like an hour. And uh, she just came out to tell me she had an emergency. I had to see someone at the doctor's office. Um, that's the trials and tribulation of doing a live podcast. So... I'm talking about the town. The town's 600 years old. We're back there. The highways, everything's... I'm not going to bore you with the highways. The town's 600 years old. The, um, a lot of the... In the center of town, I guess, the village is maybe 180. A lot of the buildings are from 150, 100. The buildings are 150 to 180 years old. Uh, the churches are, are more established so they've been around for a long time so the roads have been laid out so they have very little extra space for parking so the land they have in the center of town is the land they have now when you go out of the center of town different story they're building houses in the style i guess you would call them european style of home building they don't do as big of, well, some houses do, farmhouses and things like that have nice plots of land. But a lot of times you just have little pieces of land and thing. I think they're kind of mimicking, I'm not saying they're mimicking on purpose, but it seems to be a repeat of the suburban sprawl in the U.S. And if they don't have tight zoning laws, they're going to use up all their open space. Because it's really nice when you walk out of the town, like 15-minute walk, you'll see horses and and cows and, and and fields, and they have lovely little plots of land where people that live in the old Soviet era or communist era uh, collective housings, they used to have little plots of land where they can grow their own, you know grow produce and things like that, and they still might. My in-laws have that, and they have a little kind of cabin shed that you can go and spend a day there. So you're just not in the apartment. You can go out to these places. My my father-in-law does that a lot. So get back to it. I'm going to give you a little brief thing. Since the last time I spoke to you, we were in Warsaw, where... The Manko family, we went on a train trip with Carolina Manko, who is a, she's studying to be an oral surgeon. 
I think, not a dentist, an oral surgeon. She's in her, I guess she's around 23, 24. And her older sister, the one I spoke about on the flight, um, she's a flight attendant for LOT and also an actress. And she does a lot of Print, uh, w print work, like models for um, ads that are kind of retro ads from the 1940s and 50s and things like that. But she's really into history. And then her brother, Casper, who also lives in Warsaw part of the time, he, um, he plays on one of the numerous football clubs, I guess they call them, they, they keep on calling it soccer here because I thought there they call it, always called it football, but no, here it's soccer because it's not English. So they can say whatever way they translate it, they can translate it the way they want. In England, they call it football. So we went to Warsaw. We The whole town was uh, virtually destroyed during World War II because, you, you know, it's the center place where the where the Germans and the Soviets armies met. And the Germans, uh, there was, a, in the three, uh, two days ago, was the 77th anniversary of the uprising of Poland. 77, 77 years ago in, in Warsaw. And it was, at, started at 12 noon. And it's when they, started to fight Nazi occupation. It was the idea that they knew the Soviets were becoming, were pushing forward, but they weren't quite there yet. And it, the Germans were able to reinforce. And, and uh, a lot of people didn't know about the uprising. They, they knew about the ghetto uprising when the Warsaw Ghetto, and that's when the Germans were trying to clear the the area inside it where they put all the Jewish families, and they were shipping them to the concentration camps. And a resistance movement happened inside the Warsaw Ghetto. But the, a, a larger one happened with the Polish Home Army in, on August 1st, 1944. And that was uh, commemorated in a, in a museum. And just this last August 1st, every August 1st at five o'clock, 5 p.m., the uh, whole country, you'll hear the air raid sirens go off, and that's when everyone uh, does a moment of silence. It's, I thought it was one minute, but it actually seemed like five minutes, but we recognized at this time, we were at the baptism of my nephew, and we walked outside. Abby and I walked outside. We heard the alarms going off, and I said to her, that's commemoration of the Warsaw Uprising. We have to stand here silent. And they do that in Warsaw, and so everyone stops. And uh, they have similar remembrances for the Holocaust and all those things where people stop. I'm sure they do it in Israel. I'm sure in other places. But it really is kind of uh, where we were. We were obviously we're here in this small town. Uh, if we were uh, we were on the outskirts of the small town, that would have been really interesting to see what happened in town to see what people did. Days over. We did see people driving. 
because you know you can't really stop in the middle of the road when you're doing that obviously on these major uh, thoroughfares i would suggest people to pull over but to get back to we went uh, we, we were given a tour by justina of the old town and her cousin bartek came and visit us and he is uh, i don't know what he does now but he he ran for the polish national team he he wasn't in the olympics i i met because i met him and the olympics was in tokyo so i met him just a couple of days ago but he had he he had actually competed in the european championships so i was really impressed by that and we spoke so we took a tour of the town justine and carolina took us of the summer palace it was beautiful and once again i said i have pictures of that and uh, they had the summer palace they have the regular palace they had originally the the original polish kings came from krakow and they moved the capital to the center of the country warsaw on the, the way they say it they pronounced it different but they it's along the warsaw it's cut in half but which with the main part of warsaw seems to be on the west side of the vistula river and they pronounced it differently and forgive me for mispronouncing it but uh you you can put it into a translation app and get the correct one so we we did all that we looked at the old town and they used pictures and uh, old photos and films and recreated the architecture of old town and old town is huge it's a big town warsaw is a major city and around it there's a lot of the new buildings there that one uh thing was that they, they have a, so many huge skyscrapers they're going to have the largest uh, tower in the european union is being constructed in warsaw right now but it has a beautiful very innovative architecture there it's definitely a world-class city with beautiful public transportation and uh, lovely restaurants we ate at several restaurants uh, cafes and a, tradi a traditional restaurant in old town with traditional polish fare and what i found interesting other than how nice and friendly all the servers were was they seem to be going through the same thing that in the restaurant business or service industry in the United States, that they have a shortage of workers. And the workers uh, seem to be under, you know, they're hurried and under stress, and there's a lot more patrons than there are people to serve them. And they have, just because there's tables available doesn't mean someone could get to it. You know, just because the table's there doesn't mean there's people there to serve them. So you got to be kind of empathetic in seeing how someone does does their job. You know, and you can see it in their face. And when you understand that and you're nice to them, they're appreciative of it. They're very appreciative of that. And and they they were very nice to us. They gave us a plate of kapusta. And kapusta is, uh, it was a... Uh, uh, kind of a, a pickled cabbage which is akin to sauerkraut 
and bread and, and pickles. It, it, was, it was lovely. And then at the end, they gave us a round of sherry, which I didn't partake in. A little, you know, dessert wines. Nice. But I had, uh, I had wonderful food there. Some more traditional food, some more inventive food. I had a rose, a rose fish. I think it was baked rose fish in this, um, and the, some of the, the cabbage salad with that. And they, they always like their potatoes. They have fritkies or boiled potatoes. And I ate, ate my share of, I didn't have pierogies in Warsaw, but I had them in other places. So, from, we stayed overnight. My, I had my daughter with me. Abby was visiting. Abby wanted to visit with her sister. Both, well, actually, she has three sisters and one brother here in, uh, she has three sisters, no, four, three sisters. Three sisters and one brother. One of the sisters um, lives with, lives about ten miles south of us in the Florida Keys, and another, her youngest sister lives in her hometown, just across the way from her mother and father, and her middle, one of her middle sisters, the next youngest sister lives in Madrid, Spain, and she came to visit us. And her brother lives about 20 miles east towards the Ukrainian border from the town I'm in right now. So she stayed here and was visiting with the family or stayed with, actually, in Zakopane in the mountain area. And um, we, we took the train from Krakow to Warsaw and then Warsaw back to Krakow and got a, um, a ride back. So that first night, my daughter Sky and I stayed in a very nice hotel called the Radisson Blue in the center of Warsaw. Then we got up and Carolina and Casper met us after breakfast and outside our hotel. We went to the Warsaw Uprising Museum that went in detail a very thorough background of the uprising who occurred in 1944. And I didn't have a lot of information about it before. I didn't really study it. I didn't even know about that. I knew about the ghetto, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, but I didn't know about the Warsaw Uprising. And the Warsaw Uprising went on for a couple months. And that, uh, they literally took the whole town to with field artillery, took it down, took all the buildings down. And they have aerial photos of it being destroyed. And the Allies, the British, the, the Soviets, and the United States uh, did a lot of uh, airdrops. And the, the British did low-level nighttime drops, and so did the Soviets, but the Soviets didn't drop as much. They didn't do as many. And the U.S. was the least effective. And there's, um, I heard, you know, someone said the U.S. did probably just a really big drop in the middle of it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that you, the U.S., uh, when they entered the war, the U.S. had planes that could fly very high. And the U.S. would do... Um, aerial bombings of Germany in the daytime 
and the British did nighttime low-level bombing of Germany. So both of them were dangerous. The, the British ones, because, you know, you, you're lower, but it was nighttime, and you, sometimes you could, you know, you see the silhouettes there, and it was uh, just an easier targeting when you're lower, but not so easy in the nighttime. And in daytime, you could see the planes, but they're way high up. So, but the Germans had to develop proximity fuses where they sent them to the, the levels that Americans, and they had to, obviously they had fighters that would go up and, and they're easier to find when you're bombing in the daytime with, you know, you have all these planes. So when the Americans, all their bombers and their resupply things were done from high elevations in the daytime. So they sacrifice accuracy for visual sighting in the daytime. And so supposedly the bind sites were supposedly advanced. But when you're using a parachute drop, when you're resupplying uh, people, you know, the wind can take it almost anywhere. So they, and, and what, what um, I, I could, uh, I didn't get a too much detail on the activities, but the, the Germans had tanks and artillery where sometimes the, the Polish Home Army were able to capture tanks and artillery, but they couldn't get, I, mean, I imagine they couldn't get enough supplies to be able to run those. But they put up a fight there. And that, that uprising museum was very, very informative. And if you ever have the chance, I'd go there. They have English uh, tour guides, and they also have uh, a description of all the, you know, exhibition pieces are in Polish and English. So we liked that, and then, so we did that, and then we went and had another lunch, and then we head back, headed back to Zakopana. And then you heard that we had our lovely um, baptism, and it was at the church. Now I'm kind of glossed over the whole time. We, all the, all the other times, just wasn't just going to museums, we went up to, walked up a mountain, which I didn't do too well. I got there maybe 80% of the way. I mean, I was having some kind of breathing problems getting up there. I smoked for years. I'm a, a spin instructor, for God's sake, so I should have been able to do that. But, I mean, my legs held out, but the breathing was really hard when I was going up the mountain. It's about a mile and a half up, maybe 9,000 feet uh, to the top. And I wasn't really gung-ho for that. The end. But the daughter made it. Guy made it up there when she went up with Carolina. And Carolina and her father could do. She Carolina said she would go up there four or five times in a day. And and it would have taken us. It took us about three hours to where we got to and came back. And if I went all the way up, it probably would have taken about four hours and fifteen minutes. Um, supposedly, Carolina's father, who's his late 40s, if I'm not correct, almost 50, can do the whole thing in 50 minutes, which was amazing. But I know that's a thing now. And he runs in ultra marathons and stuff like that. So we did that. And the, the thing about when you go into a Polish house, a lot you, when you go to an Italian house or things like that, when, in the Mancos, when you go to the Mancos, they would just give you tons of food. 
She made homemade blueberry pierogies. They put out lovely snacks and things like that. And a lot of times we're coming from just eating. And they, you know, give you wine, a drink, beer, coffee. They have a little espresso machine. The people here are very congenial and very welcoming host. So, uh, and we, we were very fortunate to have uh, friends like that in Zakopana. And then we have family here in San Gesture. And today we went into town, walked around. I took some picture of the local architecture. I put a little album up in there. I did a little research on the history of San Gesture was established in uh, the 1400s, uh, mid 1400s, but there was a, uh, a parish. It, it, supposedly there was a church here back in the 1300s, and I'm sure there were other people living here. And you got to remember there was sort of like wars and invasions that occurred and stuff like that in the ensuing years, previous years and the ensuing years. And uh, there have a lot of flux of ethnic groups through the area. Um, where we are in Poland, there's a, a lot. There was a uh, the Lithuanian Polish. Uh, it was I think it was yeah Lithuanian Polish um, area from like the 1600s here. Lithuania was much more robust a, a country at one time. When I say robust, larger. And, you know, just regional. There's regional areas here, and they have different names for it. And Poland hadn't existed really as a nation until like 1919, 1920, because it was split up between the Austrian-Hungarian Empire that lasted until World War One. The Russian Empire that lasted until 1917. And then you had the Soviet Revolution. They were involved there. And then you had the Germans. You had um, the Swedes. They had the Northern Deluge, they call it. And it's when the Swedes invaded. That was in the 1600s. So they always had these movements of people and invasions going on across. And a very dynamic and influx area of the world when you consider that there's the, the natural barriers are, are smaller rivers and not even really huge mountains ma mountains that were people could make to go through in certain places so they didn't have those barriers like we have in the United States or other places in like Switzerland think of that think of Switzerland right they're surrounded by the Alps Right there, and they got some passes and stuff like that. You know, Switzerland never really tried to expand because it's very easy. They had those mountains there to protect them. Even during World War II, there was the only country really in Europe that stayed out of it completely because of the way they're geographically formed. And the United States is much like that if you consider they had the Atlantic Ocean on one side and Pacific on the other. And where we got attacked was in our overseas possessions or non-continental uh, regions like Hawaii. 
which wasn't even really a state then. It was more of a territory. And so, you know, these countries in, in middle Europe, they just had to see a lot. And Russia has that huge expanse of land. But even them, they had it in the 1300s. They had the Mongol invasion come out of Asia and they took over uh, much of uh, Russia. And that's where you see the influence. There's a kind of certain Asian influence in as you go further east. And my ancestors are Hungarian. And Hungarians came all the way out of the, um, out, you know, they came out of Asia. They were horsemen. And they settled in what is now Hungary in the 10th century. Or 9th century, actually. So say, when they say the 9th century, they mean the 1,000. When they say 17th century, they mean 1,800. Things like that. So Poland was a, a very powerful country in the late Middle Ages before the Reformation. And matter of fact, they sent a, a big army to Vienna. I think it was Vienna during one of the incursions by the Ottomans. And a lot of the reasons why, one of the big reasons why Europe wasn't overrun by the Ottoman Turks was because of the Polish army under King Casimir. I knew that from a couple of years back. But I'm really enjoying, I really enjoyed my time here in Poland. I'm probably going to do one more podcast uh, to, to wrap it up. We have we're going to Tarnov, which is further east, much closer to... We're going to Zheshov and Tarnov. It's about 15 miles away from the Ukrainian border. I can't get into Ukraine. I wanted to pop into the Ukraine, but uh, because they're not in the Union and because they're having a little trouble in their eastern part of the country. They have a little civil war going on. But uh, we're actually closer to the west. We're right up against the western border, so we're a couple hundred miles away from that. But they're still, they still won't let us go in there. I don't know what would happen if we tried to get in there. You have to get a visa and things like that. And it says, suppose there's a big line when you get up to the border that you can't really get in. So I'm not going to mess around with that. Well, thank you for listening. If you are listening, I will um, be back. My uh, daughter sent me a message saying, hey, so uh, till next time, I will talk to you later. Thank you very much and have a great day. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from San Jeshu in eastern Poland. Talk to you later. Bye.